let's go ahead and look at Hebrews 11.22. says, By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. So there's two aspects to this part uh, to this uh, this summary in Hebrews 11, specifically talking about Joseph, making mentioning of the departing of the children of Israel and a commandment concerning his body or his bones. And I think it's important for us to notice what's not mentioned about Joseph's life. I would argue that Joseph, I have, if there's any one man outside of Christ that I have tried to model myself after just in my dealings with my family, the dealings in my workplace, the dealings in ministry, it's Joseph. I feel like, <clears throat> you know, I've never was sold into slavery by my brothers, although my brothers did pick on me. Uh, they were older and always seemed to be bigger, but the, it's 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 very little about that. It's more about the fact that when you find yourself in a situation, you have the ability to respond to that situation like Joseph did. And I just think it's interesting that these things are not mentioned about Joseph's faith. Remember, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews eleven is that by faith. Joseph did these things, right? Or, or by faith, these people did these things. By faith, he still had trust in the midst of betrayal multiple times. Like his brothers betrayed him, Potiphar's wife betrays him, the jailer, or, you know, the baker and the, the um, what's it, butler, right? And, the, you know, just multiple times he has betrayal. Even devotions in the midst of trial, he was, he was faithful to the Lord. He had supernatural insight, right? Whether as a young man prior to him being sold into slavery, he had the the visions, the dreams about the the um, you know the stalks bowing down in obedience or obeisance. Um, even older, right? With his, he was a an interpreter of dreams. He ultimately led to a leadership of an entire nation. He was number two, just below Pharaoh, over over the nation of Egypt. Uh, he embraced reconciliation. And he had this deliverance of his extended family. All those things are really important aspects of his life that are clearly enumerated in Scripture. The stories, that I mean, even me touching on them are because they're mentioned in Scripture. So I don't think Scripture's minimizing it. But within Hebrews chapter 11, none of these things are mentioned. Only what's mentioned is two things. He made mention of the departing of the children of Israel, and he gave commandment concerning his bones which I think is interesting. So because it's interesting, I think there's something for us to learn. So go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 50. We're going to spend most of our time in Genesis, specifically the later chapters of Genesis, but Genesis chapter 50. And we'll read this together. Um, there's only a few, a couple verses that we're looking at here. We're going to start in verse uh, 24 uh, as, I, as I read. This obviously wraps up the book of Genesis. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. I think there's also a very interesting component here that he was embalmed 
but probably not preserved like a pharaoh because we even have their bodies still today, their soft tissue, if you will, that has hardened, right? It's not just their bones, but despite being embalmed, only his bones make the trip. We're not really going to get into that today, but I think this is interesting. So one of the things I would encourage you to consider doing, some people are not comfortable with this, but some people are comfortable writing in their Bible or they have a Bible that they are comfortable writing in, okay? I would encourage you to have a Bible, uh, if you will, a quote, study Bible. It doesn't have to have the name study Bible in it, but have a second Bible that, you're, that you are comfortable making notes in. At some point in your life, you are going to be wrong. I've got notes in my Bible that are just blatantly wrong and it's okay. It's a, it's, it's a growth process, right? Um, when I look at, you know, I've recently had the opportunity to look at some of my old school papers that my mom kept, why I'm not sure, but you know, I, I messed up addition. I, I didn't color between the lines. That's okay. It's, it's, it really was good for me to see that I have grown, right? I mean, I generally color in the lines when I color now and I generally do math well, mostly because I have a phone, but um, but the point is, I have matured, and sometimes if you make notes in your Bible that are special times or things that God has shown you, they will be a blessing to you, and in some cases, you'll, you'll see how you've grown uh, to see more deeper things uh, uh, in Scripture. But one of the things that I would encourage you to do if you have one of those kind of Bibles is notice the parallel in Hebrews 11 right, that we said the mentioning of the departing of the children of Israel and the commandment concerning his bones. So what I did on the screen here is I put these two things, just highlighted these or put boxes around them, right? God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. This is the departing of the children of Israel that's referenced in Hebrews 11. And ye shall carry up my bones from hence. This is the commandment that he gave concerning his bones. Now, I think it's kind of interesting, and, and we, are, we are going to touch uh, onto this, but Joseph doesn't command them to carry his body. He commands them to carry his bones. So what is your logical conclusion from that? Obviously, we see it looking backward from Hebrews 11. Right? When that's pinned, it's well after the event happens. This is before the event. He's actually speaking it, so he's still alive. What can you conclude from Joseph's statement about the commandment to carry his bones up? He'll be dead. He'll be, He'll be dead. It'll be a while. It'll be a while. Right? Bodies don't decay overnight, especially if they've been embalmed. So this is a very forward-looking statement, a very forward-looking statement. He knows, or under faith of the Holy Spirit or direction or leading of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be a while that Israel is in Egypt. Okay? He knows that. He believes that. Okay? So, he prophesies some 400 years in the future some 400 years in the future. That literally would be like when the pilgrims landed in 1620 in Plymouth Rock. Okay? One of those individuals saying to their kids, make sure my bones get back to England. And today, time frame, time frame approximate, give or take a little bit, 
we make sure those bones get back. That's the length of time that we're talking here. Again, approximately, okay? We see three different accounts in scripture. There's some study here. If you want to take this and do this on your own, time does not allow for it today. Really, it's not the nature of our study, um, but there, well, we'll just look at it. In Exodus 12, in verses 40, 41, now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years, okay? And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the selfsame day as it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. That's the account in Exodus. Now the account in Acts is a little different. And God spake on this wise that his seed should, his seed should sojourn in a strange land and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil for hundred years. Okay? That is not an inconsistency in scripture. That is not a contradiction in scripture. One is saying how long they were there. One is how they were being treated evilly. Okay? If, if that's the right way of saying it. Galatians 3, 17. And this I say that the covenant that was concerned, confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot dis disannul. So he's actually referencing back to that period of time. So... So it's important to understand this context, okay? It's under, important to understand this context. But either way, whether you count it at 400 or 430, okay, it's a long time. I, does he know it's going to be 400 years? Uh, my guess is no. But he commands his bones to be sent, not his body to be sent, okay? And I think we can learn from that. We can take some, some trust. Now, what were the two things that he said? God will visit you, right? And I want you to bring my bones up from hence. So I wanted to look at this word visit. And I know you can't really see all of these. And I don't expect you to write them all. I think I gave you a couple of lines there. I don't expect you to write them all, okay? If you are taking notes. But this word visit, the Hebrew word is also translated as to reckon, to punish, to pay attention to or observe to attend to, to seek, to look about, to seek in vain, uh, miss or lack, to appoint, assign, to be visited upon, to be watched over, to muster up, to call, to be deposited. Like, it's got a lot of aspects to it, okay? And the, the, the word, the English word, the closest thing that I could come up with in our English vernacular that would, it's not translate, don't get me wrong, it's that we can wrap our brain around is deal. Like God will deal with you. If I say, I'll deal with that when I get home, am I mad about it? Well, if I just say those words, you don't know. I'll deal with it like maybe the kids are getting a spanking. Maybe I need to mop up the floor. Maybe I need to take the trash out. I, it, maybe I need to take to mail a letter. Like it, there's, no, there's no negative or positive connotation. It's just I'm going to visit that concept when I get home. And God is going to, Joseph basically says, again, my equivalent translation here is, God's going to deal with you when the time's right. He's going to visit you. Can yes. God will remember you? Well, sure, because he's going to, he, he, in order for him to do it, he's going to remember it. Now, these are words that are specifically translated from the, same, uh, from the same Hebrew word. 
So just you have to remember, Scripture, Old Testament Scripture was written primarily in Hebrew. Okay, that was the the language that was spoken. And if you've ever looked at the back of a of a box or a, you, you've you've purchased something and you're looking at the instructions. The number of English words to describe how to do something and the number of the other language words in the other languages is not the same because sometimes it takes two or three words for us to communicate a concept that one word communicates in another language or vice versa. We might only have one word, but it takes two or three words in another language. That's okay. That's the nature of language. In this case, this word visit you is not what we might think of visit. Because when I think of visit, I think of something transient, right? I'm going somewhere for a short period of time and then I'm leaving. But that's kind of not the nature of, I mean, a visit could be, could be very important, right? You could go visit your sister in another state and it'd be very impactful and you could stay for three months and that's a visit, right? But in this case, God's visitation is a very personal connection with him. He's going to deal with the nation of Israel being under bondage in the land of Egypt. Okay? So what I did next was I wanted to put up here the visitation of God in Exodus. So I looked just very briefly at all the times God acted, not that it was said about God, but God acted in the book of Exodus. And look at what he did. He dealt well, he heard, he remembered, he saw, he called, he spake, he led, he went before, he answered, he was seen. They saw the God of Israel. He dwelt among the children and he will be their God. He filled them with the spirit of God and they even wrote with the finger of God, right? So God's visitation on them is a very personal and ongoing kind of relationship. That is, in fact, the nature of the relationship that we have with him today, right? He doesn't come on us and leave. It's a very personal, a very uh, intricate, it's a very intimate, very, um, um, has longevity to it, right? It's a very long-standing kind of relationship. So this brings us to our first <clears throat> relationship rule today, the promise of the Lord's presence is always the backdrop of his moving. It's always the backdrop of his moving. So he doesn't move in a situation from afar. He very much moves in and through the situation. So within the context of your relationships, the Lord's presence is necessary for him to be moving. I have heard, literally, when I've counseled with some people, God is not welcome in my, my marriage, or God is not welcome in my relationship. Well, guess what? It's not going to go so well. It's not going to go so well. For him to, do, to move, for him to interact, for him to bless, not just bless in the right ways, but discipline, correct, chastise, grow, all the things he needs to do in our lives, he has to be present. Okay, And it's not just, I, most of people in here have probably not said, God, I don't want you to in my life. I, I realize that. Or maybe you have at some point in time, but now you are different because you're here, right? Otherwise you wouldn't be here, right? It's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy there, right? Right, ding, 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 right? So, but the promise of the Lord's presence is always the backdrop of his moving. So when Joseph says, the Lord will visit you, 
and will bring you up, right? He's going to bring you up and you're going to take my bones. God's in the middle of that. God's in the middle of that. And, and we can't, I can't summarize it enough. I can't, certainly don't want to blow over it, but it is absolutely important, integral, foundation, critical, vital component of the equation. Like it doesn't happen. The nation of Israel doesn't happen if God doesn't show up. I mean, or they don't leave without God showing up. But the other thing that I think is very interesting about Joseph commanding that his bones go up back to the land was he saw, and I would argue, he saw Egypt as his home. And I put quotes around home. <clears throat> Excuse me. I put quotes around home. I want you to look now in Genesis chapter 50. That's where we were. And we're going to look at these verses, okay? So verse 1, Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. This is obviously before Joseph dies because Joseph dies at the end of chapter 50. This is actually where Jacob, or the man that was called Israel, dies, okay? And Joseph, in verse 2, commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel, or Jacob, right? He goes by the same name, by, by both names. So it's lit so, so Joseph literally had servants that were physicians. Like that's kind of he's kind of a big deal, in the infamous words of uh, words of uh, I can't think of the uh, the Will Ferrell, but I can't think of the actor. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal, right? Uh, the anchor man, Ron Burgundy. Ron Burgundy. He's kind of a big deal. Okay, but so this is where his servants were. They lived in Egypt. Okay. So verse 3, the Egyptians mourned for him 40, uh, for 70 days. Look at this. And 40 days were fulfilled for him, and uh, for so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. So they mourned kind of on behalf of Joseph. Israel wasn't that important. The person of Israel, the person of Jacob wasn't that important in the nation of Israel. But it would be like, setting aside political opinions, it would be like Mike Pence, the number two guy in the country, the vice president, losing his father and the country honoring that, okay? The leadership honoring that. That's the only thing I can, I can tie it to. Joseph was number two in the country. He loses his father and the father or, and the country gives some respect unto that. Okay. But they mourned for him for 70 days. In verse six, jump down. And Pharaoh said, go up and bury thy father according as he hath made thee square. So literally Pharaoh himself charges Joseph to take Jacob or Israel back to the land of Canaan, back to the promised land to bury him. So this is, again, all within the context of Egypt being Joseph's home. In verse 7, And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh and the elders of his house and all the elders of the land of Egypt. Again, to tie it to the United States, this would literally be like the Supreme Court, Congress, both houses of Congress, the chief, the the uh, uh, the uh, uh, staff, the chiefs of staff, all the different folks within and around the government leaders, all honoring Joseph's dad. Like, 
that's a pretty big deal. Okay, that's a pretty big deal. In verse 8, notice who stays. Now, this is not over the entire nation of Israel, but relative to Joseph's sphere of influence. And all the house of Joseph, they go up as well, and his brethren, and his father's house. So literally, all of Israel's house, Jacob's house, all of the, the kids, the brothers, all of their houses, only, and look in verse 8, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen, which is in Egypt. That's where they were living. Mm -hmm. So literally, the only folks that stayed behind were the kids, probably someone to take care of them, and the animals. What's that tell you? That's the future. Well, it's the future, no doubt. That's a great point. But are you going to go back if you leave your kids? You're going back. You're going. I mean, you're going back. I mean, Joseph's not going to go up to Israel and or up to the land of Canaan and stay after he buries his father, right? I mean, he might be tempted to if he had everything. Like this, this could be argued as the first exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt, except they didn't all go, right? Some of them stayed behind. And because they stayed behind, Joseph is fully expecting to return to Egypt. He's fully expecting to return. Otherwise, he'd take his kids, right? He would take his flocks, you'd, you'd think, right? In verse 11, so they get up into the land of Canaan. They get up into where they're going to bury, the area where they're going to bury uh, Jacob uh, or Israel. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the morning in the floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous morning to the Egyptians. Wherefore, the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. Literally, that area is called the mourning of the Egyptians. That's where the Egyptians mourned. So how did the land of Canaan view Joseph? They viewed him as an Egyptian, right? This is where his home was. And then Joseph in four, verse 14 returns and Joseph returned unto Egypt, he and his brethren and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. His home was not his home. Okay, stay with me. His home was in fact not where he wanted to be buried. He said, take my bones up hence to the land of Canaan, to the promised land, after I die, at some point in the future, despite this being my home, I want to be buried there, okay? And so, it's a promise, right? It's a promise about the future. Joseph, I would argue, is actually less worried about where he's buried, and he's more pointing to his children, those after him, and the promise to take him up, okay? I would point that it's less about where he wants to be buried, and it's more about saying, hey, take care of this after I die. You know, take care of this after I die. So I, I, there was an article that came out, and I was dealing with it literally when my mom was on hospice, about a, a, a guy who had um, learned, and later in his years, he had learned to paint, okay? And it was a kind of a therapy for him as he was dealing with cancer, if I remember the story correctly. And he painted a, a picture of an actor, okay? 
he painted a picture of, of an actor and he was really proud of it and he asked his daughter to get that picture to the actor after he died and he was kind of joking about it but after he died the daughter kind of like took it upon herself she was going to get this picture to this actor and it was well known i just i wish i could remember who it was i couldn't find the story uh i wish i could remember who it was but it's it would be i'm sorry john wayne was it no 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 the the actor was still alive the actor was still alive, and I just don't remember who it was. But she, the guy had done this picture, and he wanted to get the picture to the actor who was still living after his death. And through the powers of social media and that sort of thing, um, she was able to connect with the person. Again, you'd, you'd all know who it was. Uh, again, I don't know if I think it was an actor. It might have been a performer. But, but the point is, after he was dead, he gave his daughter – before he died – he gave his daughter a task after he was gone. And that drove her. That was a driver for her after he was gone. And I would su su submit to you that that is literally what Joseph is doing here. He's less concerned about where he's buried because everything he has, everything he's developed, everything he owns, everything is in Egypt. It's less about him and it's more about saying, hey, when you leave, take me with you. So relationship rule number two, have a vision beyond your days and beyond your home. Okay? You need to have a vision beyond the circumstances that face you day in and day out, even at your death. Have a vision beyond your home. Okay? Moses, as we see in Scripture, takes the bones, but the children of Israel bury them. Okay, So in Exodus 13, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn unto the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry my bones away hence with you. And then we see in Joshua 24, and the bones of Joseph, so Moses is now dead, right? That happens at the beginning of Joshua, jo Moses is dead. The bones of Joseph, with the uh, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem. Okay, and we'll see this in just a second. But this, there's a transition of responsibility here. For years, his bones lay waiting. Moses is now leading the nation of Israel out of the prom or out of Egypt to the Promised Land, and Moses takes it upon himself takes upon himself the responsibility to take the bones, make sure they go, okay? At some point, Moses dies, doesn't make it into the promised land. We know the story there, right? The rock and smiting it, etc. And Joseph, ha uh, I'm sorry, uh, Joshua, for a period of time, takes this over and ultimately the, the children of Israel bury him. Now look, it's in, a, in Shechem, a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamer, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. So what we see is uh, where he was buried. So this is back in Genesis, the account of that. He, Jacob, bought a parcel of field where he had spread his tent at the end of the children of Hamer, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money, hundred pieces of silver. But look at this. And he erected there an altar and called it uh, Eli... Ho uh, Eli Lohi, Israel, or mighty God of Israel. So this was a very important place to Jacob. This was a very important place. And that's not where Jacob's buried, but it is where Joseph's buried. 
It's the first recorded place that Abraham stops in the promised land. A few weeks ago, we looked at the travel all the way from Ur of the Chaldees through Haran and all the way down into Israel, hundreds and hundreds of miles. And the first place that's recorded that he stops is where Joseph's buried, ultimately. In Genesis 20, uh, 12, 6, and Abram passed through the land unto the place of Shechem, same word, unto the plain of Morah. And this is, some of you may remember, this is where the story where uh, Shechem, the person Shechem, actually uh, sleeps with Dinah, right? And then um, Simeon and Levi say, we're going to get together as a country, two different people. And the way you do that is you be circumcised. And so all the men, they decide and they circumcise the men and then they go in and kill them because they, it's hard to defend yourself after said surgery, right? So... Um, so this is Shechem. This is the nation of Israel. Okay. This is a kind of the old Testament time. So this is Shechem highlighted. Egypt's obviously down here. The nation of Israel during the actual, actual Exodus comes down here, spins around here for a long time before they come up and in and cross literally at this area here into Jericho. But this, it's an easy journey. It's just a few days up to Shechem and they bury Shechem. It's interesting because this is where jo uh, Joseph would have would have ultimately been buried and here is where uh, where Joseph traveled Hebron is where Joseph traveled to bury Jacob. So it's an even much uh, simpler um, a much simpler journey. It's the modern day city of Nablus. You can actually go and you can Google Nablus and you can see the general uh, topography and the it's 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 pretty. Uh, you know, relatively speaking, it's not the same kind of mountains and hills that we might think of in Colorado or something like that, but it's a pretty area. And it was old, he was ultimately buried in the land which was given to his children, according to scripture, and that's the tribe of Manasseh. So the tribe of Manasseh sits in this area in the future, you know, after, uh, after the land's divvied up, okay? So this brings us to our last relationship rule, relationship rule number three, creating a promise for the future is the best gift you can leave your posterity. Some people, a lot of people today, think that's in the form of dollars, okay? And we see that way too many times that dollars don't last very long, right? They don't last very long. But the greatest, pro uh, creating a promise for the future, <clears throat> excuse me, is the best gift you can leave your posterity. It's not about his bones. It's about the promise of the leaving, and it's about the giving them of the mission. It's not about the bones. So in our last couple of minutes, I want to look. I hope you're still in Genesis chapter 50 because we've read the last few verses, last three verses, and we've covered a good portion of Genesis chapter 50 and when, when Joseph takes the bones up. But look at the last, uh, the last thing I want you to look at. Look at verse 23. Okay, And Joseph saw Ephraim's, this is right before he dies. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought upon Joseph's knees. Literally, Joseph gets to see his great, great grandchildren mm -hmm. from one of his kids and his great grandchildren from the other. 
So I don't know if you've ever done this. Some some families, it's just not feasible from the ages and that like. But have you ever seen a five-generation photo? Right? It's kind of a big deal, right? When five generations can all be in one photo, right? You've got the kid, the parents, the grandparents, the great-grandparents, and the great-great-grandparents. And that's a big deal. That means the great-grandparents have lived a long time, generally... Right, and generally had kids younger, right? I mean, just that's generally the way it works out. That's literally, but that is the verse right before the, Joseph gives the promise. So the verse right before the promise, look at this. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation and the children of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought upon his knees. Those are his great-grandkids. And that is the foundation, that's the backdrop of the response that he says in verse 24. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, God will surely visit you. He's looking into the eyes of his grandkids, his great, great grandkids, in some cases, and promising a future. That's a big deal. If I, can, if I could look into the eyes of whether it's my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, whatever the Lord allows me to see, and I can promise them a future, that's the best gift I can give. And again, so many people think that's monetarily, but the best gift is spiritually. The only way I can ensure a promise for them is if they accept Christ. So literally the only way I can, I can be 100% confident of their future whether it's 400 years or 4,000 years later. Mm-hmm. It's not about the bones. It's about the promise of, uh, of an eternity, at least in our case. So as, as we uh, cover that, as we consider that literally God does the same thing with us, he has given us the promise of an eternity, the promise of a future. And it's not about the body of Christ, particularly it's about the resurrection of Christ, the promise of the, etern- uh, the eternity that we can have in Christ's sacrifice if we apply it to our sins. And so if you've not made that decision today, if that's something you're struggling with, I would be honored to sit down with you and talk with you about how you can have his um, sacrifice and his uh, offering for sins uh, applied to your life. It's a, it's a very simple act of obedience, a very simple act of faith, but it will change your direction for eternity. And uh, so, again, I'd be honored to, sh- to share that or, or hook you up with a, a guy or a gal that could be able to share that uh, as appropriate. Um, but don't, don't leave this place just saying, oh, I learned something new about Scripture today. Let it change you a little bit. I, I told Michelle as I was preparing this message, uh, I literally wept at one point over the bones of Joseph. And when I woke up, I didn't think I was going to be weeping over the bones of Joseph because they're just bones, but it means so much more. It's a picture. It's a promise of a a future. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, um, we thank you for this, this uh, very small portion of scripture in Hebrews and a relatively small portion of scripture in in Genesis, but we thank you for the depth of it. And we thank you that you did through Joseph promise. And that is the faith that he had. It wasn't just the faith in the situation of going through life. It was the faith of what was going to happen to him afterward. And he had great faith that he would be with his forefathers. And uh, Lord, I, I, I have great faith that I will be with my forefathers, my spiritual forefathers, because of the sacrifice of Christ. 
Christ and uh, because I accepted that at, uh, at the age of 17. And so, Lord, I, I do, I thank you. I thank you for uh, offering uh, the gift of eternal life through, through Christ's sacrifice. And uh, I just pray that each one of us understands and, and takes some time to take an account of where we are in our, our relationship with you, whether we have a relationship at all. And if we don't, Lord, help us to, uh, to strive, to, uh, to understand, uh, to listen to the, to the calling of your Holy Spirit in our, in our lives uh, so that we can, we can come to that point of decision. And for those who are saved, Lord, I just pray that you continue to use your Holy Spirit to teach. I pray that you uh, guide and direct as you see fit. We trust you for those things, but we trust that you will visit us, that you will be on the move, and, um, and that you will, your presence will be, uh, will be with us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.